Now, I want to talk today about the virgin birth of Christ. In the next couple of weeks, I'm going to cover these other things because if anybody needs to be clear about who it is we worship, it's us. It says, Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son. What an astonishing statement because that statement flies in the face of all science. It flies in the face of everything natural and normal. Now, the birth of Jesus Christ was as follows. After his mother Mary was betrothed to Joseph before they came together, she was found with child of the Holy Spirit. Wow. Then Joseph, her husband, being a just man and not wanting to make a public example of her, was thinking about putting her away secretly. But while he thought about these things... Behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take to you Mary, your wife, for that which is conceived in her is of the Holy Spirit. And she will bring forth a son, and you will call his name Jesus, which means Savior, for he will save his people from their sins. So all this was done that it might be fulfilled, which was spoken by the Lord through the prophet. And now he's going to quote what we had just read. Behold, the virgin shall be with child and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which is translated God with us. Then Joseph, being aroused from sleep, did as the angel of the Lord commanded him, took to him his wife, and did not know her, was not intimate with her, till she had brought forth her firstborn son, And he called his name in obedience to God, Jesus, Savior. Father, we thank you for the truth of our faith. It is not based on a fable. It's not based on a myth. It's not based on something conjured. It's not based on a lie. But Lord, Mary conceived by the Holy Spirit as a virgin. And we thank you for that bedrock truth. And we thank you that our faith stands on the operation of God. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, turn to your neighbor and tell him, I believe it. We are in a battle for our faith in America. I'm not in a battle for my personal faith, but I am in a battle, and you're in a battle, and the church is in a battle with ideas and concepts and lies that are attacking the basic principles of our faith. The psalmist said in one place, If the foundation be destroyed, what can the righteous do? When the foundations are taken out from under us, it leaves the righteous in a sort of unenviable position because we've lost the foundation of our faith out there in the culture. And I'm going to tell you, folks, it's time for everyone who names the name of Christ to name his name, speak up in his name, talk about him and declare what it is we believe. Today, you are not born again. You are not saved. You are not heaven bound unless you have believed the miracle that God sent his only begotten son and he entered the world, invaded planet earth via Mary, who was a virgin. Now, Let me just be real clear today. Matter of fact, I looked a few things up. I want to read this to you. According to a Newsweek poll on beliefs about Jesus, a Newsweek poll, a secular poll conducted by Princeton Survey Research Associates who interviewed by telephone 1,009 adults 
ages 18 and older, here's what they found. 79% of Americans believe that as the Bible says, Jesus Christ was born of the Virgin Mary without a human father. Now, if I watch CBS, NBC, ABC, CNN, I would never come to that conclusion listening to the media. But here is what a secular research corporation discovered. 67% say they believe that the entire story of Christmas, the virgin birth, the angelic proclamation to the shepherds, the star of Bethlehem, and the wise men from the east is historically accurate. 67%. 24% of Americans believe the story of Christmas is a theological invention written to affirm faith in Jesus Christ. 24%. But 67% believe the other. 82% believe Jesus Christ was God or the Son of God. 52% of those polled said as the Bible proclaims that Jesus will return to earth someday. 21% do not believe it. 15% of those polled believe Jesus will return in their lifetime. Say, well, 15% is not a whole lot. Ah, but watch this. There's 295 million people in America. So roughly 45 million, 45 million people go to bed at night believing Christ could come again. That's a lot of people. When asked if there would be more or less kindness in the world today, if there had never been a Jesus, 61% of all those polled say there would be less kindness if Jesus hadn't come. 47% say there would be more war if there had never been a Jesus. 63% say there would be less charity. 58% say there would be less tolerance. And 59% say there would be less personal happiness if there had never been a Jesus. Because Jesus brings happiness. Jesus brings joy. He is my peace. He is my strength. He is my comfort, and way more Americans believe in him than the media would like to let you know. So where in the world is the battle coming from? It's coming from a minority of people who have chosen to reject the claims of Christ, the claims of God about his son, and the claims that the Bible makes concerning Jesus, who was called the Christ. This month, millions of people around the world will celebrate the belief that in an obscure village in Palestine, almost 2,000 years ago, a child was born in a stable. He lived in obscurity till he was 30. Then he began a public ministry that lasted three years. It was destined to change the course of history. He was, according to the Bible, a kind person. And we're told that the common people, the regular folk, heard him gladly. And he taught as one who had authority. Three claims from the Holy Bible separate Jesus Christ from any human being who ever lived. If you read the claims the Bible has made about Jesus, you realize that he is not amongst other world religious leaders. He is in his own solar system, his own stratosphere, his own place. There is no one like him, none like him, none can come even close. He was totally, completely unique. The three claims the Bible makes are this. He was born of a virgin. 
died for our sins on a cross and was raised from the dead. Upon being told by the angel that she would conceive in her womb and bring forth a son, Mary asked, how can this be since I am a virgin? The angel replied, the Holy Spirit will come upon you and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore also that Holy One who is to be born will be called God's Son because He will not have an earthly father. That's why He was called the Son of God, the offspring of God, because she was a virgin and the Holy Ghost overshadowed her. Therefore that which was conceived in her was the offspring of God. When Joseph learned that Mary was pregnant, He was considering putting her away, as we read in the Scriptures just a moment ago. And the Bible says he had a dream, and an angel spoke to him in the dream and said, Don't be afraid to take Mary unto you as your wife, for that which is conceived in her is of the Holy Spirit. Of the Holy Spirit. We stand on miracle ground today, church. We stand on miracle ground. We are not worshiping a good teacher. We are not worshiping a charismatic leader. We are not worshiping some first century hippie with long blonde hair and a beard and blue eyes who walked around in sandals and sort of tiptoeing through the tulips making everybody feel better. No, 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 no. Every time we lift our hands, we are worshiping very God who became very man. He was the only begotten Son of God conceived by the Holy Ghost. It's not another man, Joseph. Rest assured, it's not another man. She has not been fooling around, Joseph. She hasn't been unfaithful to you. You need to know that. What has happened is supernatural, Joseph. It is of divine origin, and it fulfills the predictions of the prophets. Your Mary has been chosen by God for a special task and a special purpose, to bring forth the only begotten Son of God. Wow. There are four ways in which human life has been brought into existence according to the Word of God. Four ways. By God in creation, as in the case of Adam. He just said, let there be. He formed Adam out of the dust of the ground and breathed into him the breath of life. So that's one way life has been brought forth, human life, by God. The second way, by God without a woman giving birth, as in the case of Eve coming out of Adam's rib. The third way, by man plus woman, as in the case of the law of natural generation, natural reproduction. The fourth way, through the divine empowering of a man and a woman who are both past age, as in the case of Abraham and Sarah. God did that. But when the eternal Son of God came into this world, He did not choose any of those ways. God did not choose any of those ways. This was a one-time only event in the history of the world. Never been one before then. Never will be after that. Only one time God ever did this. Jesus' birth is utterly unique. He was born of a woman without a man. He was begotten by the Holy Ghost of the living God. Except in the case of Jesus Christ, that way of birth has never happened and it never will again. He is utterly unique. The virgin birth falls on one of the great fault lines of this Christian faith. It rests on the great divide that separates those who believe the Bible is God's Word and those who don't. Because I can't open up this New Testament without running smack into this statement. A virgin shall conceive, and that which she brings forth will be the only begotten Son of God. I can't go any further in Matthew or in Luke 
I can't read the epistles. I can't read Acts. I can't read Romans, Ephesians, Philippians. None of that unless I get past that hurdle. This great divide, the virgin birth, separates those who believe the word of God and those who don't. It separates those who believe in a supernatural Christ from those who believe he was just a good man, a moral teacher, a revolutionary, a prophet perhaps, but not the Son of God from heaven. Now I'm going to tell you what our culture needs to hear. It doesn't need to hear, well, maybe so, perhaps so, I think so, gee, I sure hope so. I think Jesus was a good man, good guy, said a lot of good things. That is not what our culture needs to hear. Because our culture doesn't need a good teacher. Our culture doesn't need a charismatic leader. We've had charismatic leaders and good teachers. Are you ready, church? Our culture needs a Savior. A Savior. And nobody else fits that description but Jesus Christ. You will name him Jesus, Savior, because he's going to save us. From what? What precipice am I falling off of? What cliff am I dangling from? What dark hole have I dropped into? Sin. He will save them from their sins. Jesus is both fully human and fully divine. He is fully human because he comes from Mary's womb. He was human. He had skin, hair, a face, a body, human. But he's fully divine because he was conceived by the Holy Spirit. Watch this. He's not half human and half divine. He's fully human and fully divine. God incarnate in human flesh. Because he had no earthly father. You say, why in the world did God have to enter the human race this way? Why in the world did God need to overshadow the Virgin Mary and conceived in her womb was the only begotten Son of God? Why would God have to do that? Because Jesus could not be carrying the guilt of Adam's sin. He had no earthly father, therefore he is without sin. Because every one of us are sinners by birth, sinners by association. We're associated with Adam. And the Bible says through Adam we all died, and through Adam we all became sinners. David said, I was born in sin, shaped in iniquity. Every one of us were sinners by birth, sinners by nature. Because we were born ultimately with Adam as our great, 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 great to the hundredth power granddaddy. So Jesus had to dodge that guilt by association. Or he could not have saved us from our sins. How can somebody who is also drowning save somebody from drowning? You've got to be out of the water to save somebody in the water. Jesus could not have had sin in any way, shape, or form. So God said, the way that I will circumvent the fall, the way that we will escape being guilty by sin, by association, is you will be born of a virgin. I will conceive you in her womb. That's why I say God never says, oops, and he never says, well, I'll be. And the devil never says checkmate. God always says checkmate. And so here's every man that was born, every woman born, came in under sin and died because of sin. So God just said, the Holy Ghost will overshadow Mary. And that which is born in her will not have an earthly father. I will be the father. Therefore, checkmate. He is born without sin. Luke 1.35 calls him the Holy One meaning that he was born without any taint of sin. 
He had no inherited sin from Adam, no sin nature, nothing in him that would cause him to sin. He is holy in the truest and deepest meaning of that term. There is no sin in him or about him or on him. The purpose of the virgin birth of Christ was to free him from the original sin passed down from Adam. The ordinary processes of transmission of sin by association with Adam were interrupted in his case by the miraculous conception. The Bible declares he knew no sin, and in him there is no sin, John said. Satan had nothing in Christ. Jesus himself said that. He said, Satan is coming, but he has nothing in me. There is not one thing in me he can accuse me of because I'm sinless. Whereas we were sinful. He has no claim on the sinless Son of God. Leon Morris wrote, It is sin which gives Satan his hold on men, but there is no sin in Jesus as in others. Sinless. Sinless. By birth. Peter Lewis points out that by means of the virgin birth, Jesus entered the world guiltless of the sin of Adam. He became the beginning of a new humanity, the restoration of the human race. Because he's born of Mary, he is truly human. Because he's conceived of the Holy Spirit, he is free from the inherited guilt handed down from Adam. Thus he is fully able, fully able, fully capable to stand in our place, taking our guilt, our shame, our punishment. I'm so thankful for the blood of Jesus. When they hung him on that cross, Satan thought, now I've got him. Now I've killed him. But the moment that that blood ran down, that splintered tree, that was sinless blood, clean blood, clear blood, guiltless blood. And Satan, thinking he was destroying him, destroyed himself, committed cosmic suicide. Because now the blood, the blood has washed away the sin of every person who says, Jesus, save me. He could pay for our sins precisely because he had no sin and no guilt of his own. He who knew no sin became sin for us that we might receive the righteousness of God through him. Now what exactly took place when the Holy Spirit conceived the human life of Jesus Christ within Mary's womb? What a mystery. What a mystery. You talk about a mystery. It's a riddle wrapped in a mystery. How can you do that, God? How could that take place? How could the God who is without limits somehow shrink himself to become a microscopic speck inside Mary's womb? The most honest answer is we don't know and don't have to. You know, today I'm going to walk out to a car, turn a key. I have no clue how that thing works. I'm pretty sure I can change the oil. I can fix a flat, but you tell me how to explain to you how that thing works, I don't know. But you know what? I fully expect it to when I turn that key. If it doesn't, I get mad at it, call somebody. But I get into a machine and I turn a key, I get into a ton or two of metal, turn another piece of metal, and something comes alive in front of me, and it carries me wherever I want to go. And I get out, and I never stop to think, how did that happen? I'm going to go home today. And I'm going to flip a switch. And a light's going to come on. It is not going to hang me up for a minute to stop and think, I can't receive that light because I really don't understand the way I turned that switch and something went into that piece of glass and it's lighting up the roof because I don't understand it. I can't receive it. No, we all receive it even though we don't understand it. 
And how many things in life, if we tried to figure it out and understand it before we did it, we would be paralyzed in life because we don't get it. I've tried to figure out the way a jet works. They freak me out. I don't like them. I don't like turbulence. I don't like being cooped up in those things. But isn't it amazing? You get in a big old piece of metal, a metal tube that goes up in the sky. Somebody turns a few switches and knobs and keys or whatever, and there is this huge roar. You go down a runway, and somehow, some way, those wings grab the oxygen, grab the air, grab the wind. It lifts off the ground, and you are airborne. I don't understand that, but I don't need to to go from here to Philadelphia. The honest answer is, we don't know because what happened was a pure miracle. A miracle of the highest order to be compared with God saying, let there be light. And a light appeared out of nowhere. It was like that. By the incredible providence, power, and mercy of God, the Virgin Mary was selected to fulfill the essential passive role as the one through whom God would act to accomplish His gracious salvation to sinners. But he did it. I don't need to understand it. I just know that when I said, Jesus, forgive me, a light came on. When I said, Jesus, forgive me, I received power from God on high. When I said, Jesus, forgive me, my darkness was turned to light. My death was turned to life. My hopelessness was turned to hope. My unbelief was turned to faith. My life was turned around. I became a new creation in Christ Jesus. I don't understand it. I just know that it happened. Luke 135 offers a hint of what happened when the angel says that the power of the Most High will overshadow Mary. Overshadow is a powerful word translated from a Greek word, which means to cast a shadow. And the same word is used when it describes Peter walking down the street and they lined the sick in the streets and his shadow was cast over them. Same Greek word. His shadow fell over them. When his shadow fell over them, they were healed. One day... Mary was in a room, Mary was someplace, and in a holy, sanctified, incredible moment, a shadow of the Holy Ghost was cast over her. The same verb is used in the Greek translation of Exodus 40, verse 35, when it says Moses could not enter the tent of meeting because the cloud had settled upon it and the glory of the Lord filled the tabernacle. Picture a tent and picture a cloud settling over it. And you have the same word used when the Bible says the Spirit of God will overshadow you. Psalms 91.4 uses the same word in a poetic image to describe God covering His people. He says He will cover you, overshadow you with His feathers. And under His wings you will find refuge. His faithfulness will be your shield and buckler. There's the same word, same word, over and over again. The same word. The Holy Ghost, Mary, He's going to overshadow you. These images give us some idea of what happened. God overshadowed Mary with His personal, intimate presence that completely surrounded her just as the cloud surrounded, covered, and filled the tabernacle. And this overshadowing protected her from all harm. Listen carefully to me. She was a virgin before her conception, and she was a virgin after her conception. Only God could have done this. Through the virgin birth, God became man without ceasing to be God. He never stopped being God. 
Though he was fully one of us, he was also always fully God. Pastor Jeff, I just don't get it. Watch this. See this suit? Let's pretend that my suit coat represents the human nature that Jesus put on when he came to earth. He put on human flesh. He put on human nature. And my shirt represents who he was as God's son, his divinity, his Godness. So the shirt represents his divinity and the coat his humanity. I just took the coat off. I'm going to ask you a question as I hold this coat. Do I have to wear my coat in order to wear my shirt? No. The obvious answer is no. I don't have to wear the coat to wear my shirt. My shirt goes under my coat, but I can wear it with or without my coat, right? In the same way Jesus was the Son of God from eternity past to eternity future, He was always the Son of God. He never lost the shirt. He never lost the shirt. His Godness. Watch this. Jesus was the Son of God from eternity past to eternity future. He was always wearing the shirt. He was always the Son of God. When He was in the manger, He was the Son of God. When He walked on the Sea of Galilee, He was the Son of God. When He died on the cross, He was the Son of God. When He rose from the dead, He was the Son of God. When He went back to heaven, He was the Son of God. And when He comes again, He's still going to be the Son of God. Nothing can ever change his essential nature. He was and is and always will be with the shirt. Now watch this. There he is in eternity. We're dying in our sins. We're going to perish without a Savior. Do you get it? We're going to perish without a Savior. No, no, Pastor Jeff, I'd go hug a tree and be saved. I'd live a good life and be saved. I'd never get a traffic ticket and be saved. No. Because we've all broken one of the commandments and the Bible says you break one, you've broken all of them. And not only that, you're guilty by association. You were born with Adam's blood in you. So there's Jesus in glory, God. And God the Father turned to him and said, in the fullness of time, God sent his son. So he turned to him and said, the fullness of time has arrived. Now it's time for the immaculate conception. There's Mary. There's Joseph. There's the Roman Empire. The prophets have all spoken. Malachi closed out his prophecy and closed out the Old Testament 400 years ago. The fullness of time has come, Jesus. He said, I will go. And because God is God and can do it only because he's God, let it be. And Jesus in heaven put on the coat. When he was born in the manger, he had on the shirt, but now he's got on the coat of humanity. Now, you know why people stumbled over him? Because notice, when I've got this on, you don't see near as much shirt. You don't see near as much shirt. You see a little flash of it here and there, but you don't see the majority of the shirt because I've got the coat on. And here's Jesus. He's born in a manger. Grows up working with wood. People would look at him and they'd see the coat. 
Well, he doesn't ever get in trouble with his parents. He's one of those straight-laced dudes. He had the coat on, so he lived his life out the first 30 years in obscurity because he had the coat on, and you could see flashes of he doesn't ever do anything wrong. He doesn't ever get in trouble with his parents. He never says the wrong thing. Well, he's a really straight guy, really good guy, but nobody really understood that under the coat was the shirt. Then he goes down, and he's baptized by his cousin John. And when he comes up out of the water now, 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 more what is under the coat starts to come out. And the Holy Ghost settles down on him. And a voice is heard from heaven saying, This is my boy, begotten of me. That's my son. He didn't come via a human daddy. This is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. And he stepped out of that water, walked into the wilderness, and Satan knew exactly what was under the coat. He knew exactly who he was and came to him and said, If you be the Son of God, cause these stones to become bread. If you be the Son of God, do this, do that. And Jesus knew that he knew who he was. And Jesus defeated him with the word of God that he had spoken himself through his own prophets. It says he came out of the wilderness. He went in the wilderness full of the Holy Ghost. But it says he came out of the wilderness in the power of the Spirit of God. And all of a sudden now, what's under the coat starts to come out more and more. He goes to a wedding in Cana. They tell him all the wine's gone. He says, pour those pitchers full of water and just leave the rest to me. And he turned the water into wine. He began to travel from town to town, heal the sick, raise the dead, cast out devils. Suddenly, what was under the coat starts coming out more and more and more. Then he says amazing things that leave no question, no doubt about who he really was. Before Abraham was, I am. So now people are looking, and they're confused. Isn't this, isn't this Joseph's son? Isn't that the carpenter's son? Haven't we seen him growing up? Haven't we seen him working with wood? Isn't he just like one of us? Yeah, he's got the coat on, but he's not like us in another major way. He has no earthly daddy. He's God incarnate in human flesh. Oh. So watch this now. So finally, they began to believe on him. I believe it. I believe. Who do you say that I am, disciples of mine? Simon Peter finally gets it by the revelation of the Holy Ghost. You are the Christ. You're the Christ. You're the one Isaiah was talking about. Jeremiah was talking about. Michael was talking about. The babe born in Bethlehem. You're the one. You're the Christ, the Son of the living God. And Jesus said, Simon Bar-Jonah, flesh and blood, has not revealed this unto you, but my Father who is in heaven, my Father who is in heaven, my Daddy who is in heaven, He revealed that to you. i got to tell you something, folks. It's a great day in your life when you look beyond the coat. And here's what bothers me in our culture. They're trying to keep the coat on him. They're trying to keep the coat on him. They're basically saying, good man, good teacher, but he was not Messiah. Good man, but he wasn't God. No, it's time for the church to rise up and speak up. He is not normal. He was not typical. There's not another one like him. You say, Pastor Jeff, you shouldn't get this stirred up. I'm stirred up enough to tell you Jesus Christ was the only begotten Son of Almighty God. He was born in a manger, invaded planet Earth to deliver us from our sins. 
So the Pharisees, the Sadducees, who were Sadducee, here's the reason they were sad, you see, is because they were always looking at the coat. They couldn't receive that under it, you know, I used to like it when Superman would. <laughs> that was a big moment for me. I used to run home from school every day to watch Superman. I would pin a towel on my back. Skinny little scrawny kid, <laughs> and I'd get up on top of my one-story house and jump off. I found out before too long I was not Superman or Superboy. I used to love it, though, when Superman Clark Kent would reveal his true identity. You know what's going to happen? The day is going to come sooner than later when God's going to turn to him again. Son, go get your bride. Go get your bride. And all these people who have said, oh, he was just a man, just a good guy, good poet, good speaker, good charismatic personality, they're going to see him go, dun, Savior, Savior, able to leap tall buildings at a single bound. <laughs> Shoot him and he doesn't die. John says in John 1.14, the Word became flesh, put on a coat, and lived among us. Christ, the living Word, put on humanity the same way I put on my coat. He was always God, but He added humanity. He added humanity through the virgin birth. I'm so thankful that we worship a living Savior today. Lord, we just thank You that You've, by Your incredible grace and mercy, enabled us to see beyond the coat. And we know that, Lord, when God raised you from the dead, he left no argument that God had put on flesh and come among us. And so this Christmas season, Lord, we're not just going to celebrate some holiday, but we celebrate the immaculate conception that you became flesh and yet remained fully God. Now, Lord, you're in heaven without the coat, but we look forward to seeing you again. And we too will put off these earthly tents and receive glorified bodies as we ascend to you. I want you to say with me today, Lord, I just thank you that you came sinless so that I could be forgiven. Amen.